Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, glad to be here. If you want to open up to First Peter, uh, where it's where we're going to be back today. Uh, we're talking about humility. Uh, everybody's favorite subject, right? Yeah. Uh, you think it's you think it's hard to listen to? You should have to talk about it. Uh, but you know, we all struggle with pride. Right? It, it manifests itself in different ways. You might, you might struggle with pride from a perspective of arrogance. You, you might think too highly of yourself. Right? We, we would identify that as pride. But you know, insecurity is also rooted in pride. You know, so I, could, I can be an insecure person who has no air of arrogance about me whatsoever, but I'm still proud because I'm concerned about my image before someone else. I, I find my security in what people think about me rather than in what God has made me. My, my security is in me or people's opinions, not in Christ and what He's done in my life. Uh, so it's all pride. We all struggle with it. Uh, I'm on that side of it. That's, that's my struggle, right? I, I walk in here this morning, and my tendency is to be way more concerned about what you think about me than in what God thinks about me or knows about me. And that's just pride. Nothing more. Uh, so we all struggle. We, we, I, I, would, I would argue that pride is the original sin, right? You go back to Lucifer and, and his sin, his sin was pride. He wanted to be exalted. He wanted to be like the Most High. He wanted to take the worship that was intended only for God for himself. And that's pride. And, and that's what we do. We're the same way. We want to be God. We want to be God over our own lives, and, and oftentimes we want to be God over other people's lives as well. We, we want people to bow to us, uh, and that's, that's pride, and so uh, we, we need to be humbled. And, and we talked about yesterday, it's amazing that, that Peter writes this book, he writes this handbook on humility, because Peter is uh, he's a proud dude. He's, he's probably on the arrogant side. You know, he's the guy who, who couldn't keep his mouth shut. Uh, he's the guy who's always going to pipe in, you know, and he's going to tell Jesus, you know, not so, Lord, I'm going up to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer there. Not so, Lord. How do you say that? It's like the, the mother of Zebedee's children coming, worshiping and desiring a certain thing. How do you say not so and Lord in the same sentence? <laughs> well, Peter figured it out. <laughs> he, he's proud, but, but God, through his life, this lifelong project of, of God working in his life and, and bringing him to the place of dying to himself and finding his his peace and his strength in Christ, he, he comes to the end of his life and he's able to write this handbook on humility. And, and that's the goal of our lives, right? That, that we would constantly be allowing God to, to crucify our flesh, that, that more and more of us, all those recesses of our lives, are surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That we are truly full of the Spirit, that there's not a part of, a, a bit of my life 
that isn't surrendered to his lordship. I don't know, maybe, maybe you're there. <laughs> That's a lifelong project for me. Uh, God is continuously working on me to bring me to that place. And so, uh, and, and that's why suffering comes. That's why we go through the things we go through. That's why God allows those things into my life so that he's constantly bringing me to the point of dying to myself, stopping this trusting in my resources, finding my strength as, as Paul did in Christ. When I am weak, then I'm strong, because my strength is in Christ. And that's what we talked about yesterday. It's, it's wrought in suffering, and, and that's because the foundation of humility is hope. I, I've got to suffer so that I find my hope in Christ. I'm secure in Him, and I'm trusting, dependent, wholly upon Him. Humility is dependence upon God. Pride is dependence upon self. It's that simple. And so you would then imagine, and, and as we saw in the summary yesterday that, that Paul, uh, Peter gives at the end of the, the letter, he, he talks about the, the younger being subject unto the elder. He says, all of you be subject one to another. Uh, he says that we're to submit the younger to the elder, certainly. Sam said, I'm old, so submit, people. Just kidding. Unless you're watching from Decatur Baptist Church, and then that applies. Uh, but, but, but before he ever said that, he told the elders how they're to behave, right? Feed the flock, be an, an example to the flock. Don't, don't be doing this for what you can get out of it. Uh, but he says the younger submit to the elder, but then he comes back and says, all of you, everyone be subject one to another. Let's, uh, let's prefer others above ourselves. Uh, and, and, and so it's no surprise that as, as he writes this handbook on humility, he talks about submission, and, he, and he's specific about it, so we're going to see some specific things, and then we're going to talk about some general things. So let's look at chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, and I, I think this is very relevant for today. I mean, this is the morning newspaper. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I, I appreciate Professor Nathaniel Nate, Nathan, <laughs> Professor. And we'll talk about it in a minute in your employment. You know, how should we be as believers in Jesus Christ? It's, it's important that as believers in Jesus Christ, we live in this country, or, or whatever country we're in, as believers in Jesus Christ. And it's, it's very practical. In, in chapter 2, verse 13, he says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. I mean, Peter says, there's a way that as a believer in Jesus, there's a way a believer in Jesus Christ should relate to human government. We're to, we're to submit to the ordinances of men. We're to submit to, to kings and to governors. It's very practical, right? Sometimes we struggle. I mean, Jesus, Jesus told Peter, hey, do we, do we pay taxes, Jesus? Yeah, yeah, we do pay taxes. He said, render under Caesar that which is Caesar's. Paul, in Romans 13, said, 
Those guys are the ministers of God. You know, that guy who pulled you over on the way here. You know, if you're not qualified to drive Pastor Grace back to the airport. All those people. The guy who walked up to your window and said, can I see your license? This is a minister of God. You ought to treat him as such. Right? That, that's humility. Be subject to the government. What about, what about when the government's wrong? Surely they never would be, right? <laughs> they are wrong. It's, it's submission isn't blind. And it is true that you can submit and not obey. And I think that's an important point. I think we, should, we need to realize that. And, and especially in the day and time in which we live. You can submit, but not obey. Submission is an attitude. Obedience is an action. And, and it, I think we may come to that place in this country. Where we are required to submit, but not obey. Because my government is requiring me to do something that would be, make me disobedient to God. But, but when I find myself in those places, the right thing to do is to submit in the midst of civil disobedience. How does that work? Well, submission is an attitude. Obedience is an action. I, I showed this video clip. I don't know if this is going to work or not. I showed this video clip at Discipleship Conference. I know a lot of you weren't there, but I love this, I love this little clip. It's out of a movie called The Insanity of God or a documentary called The Insanity of God. And it's the same clip. And a lot of you probably weren't there and didn't see it. But, but, but watch it today from this perspective of there's the, there's, you, can, you can submit without obeying. And, and he'll speak to that in this video. Let's, let's, let's see if it works. year 2000. Now, I don't know when he gets his information, but James Merrick said 90% of Southern Baptists born in the church, raised in the church, saved in the church, baptized in the church, married and buried in the church, 9 out of 10 will never share Jesus with another person. That's what's killing believers in persecution. They are saying, you are giving up in freedom what we never give up in persecution and that is our witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they said, here's the mistake you're making. You think that witness is tied to political freedom. And that, that is so biblically incorrect. I am as free to share Jesus in Saudi Arabia today as I am Kentucky. I am as free to share Jesus in Afghanistan as I am in Ohio. Politics, countries, president have nothing to do with this. God has said, you are free, and you are to share the gospel with everyone. When we are obedient and exercise our freedom, then do we have the courage to suffer the consequences. That, that last phrase, that last phrase is what I want us to catch. Submission is when I, I, may, be disobe I, I may disobey the law, but my submission is I'm willing to suffer the consequences. I'm going to obey Christ, even if the government says you can't share the gospel anymore. No, I'm free to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Submission says, I'll just suffer the consequences for it. You want to imprison me? Imprison me. You want to kill me? Kill me. You want to beat me? Beat me. Right? That was the attitude of the apostles, right? I don't have time to go there, but you've been there before. Acts, early on in the book of Acts, right? They're commanded, they're told, hey, hey, no longer do you preach in that name. No longer. And they command them not to do that. And they send them away. They beat them and send them away. And then what in the very next chapter are they doing? They're out preaching in that name. And they call them back in and they say, what are you guys doing, man? We told you guys not to do that. And they said, no, we should, we should obey God and not man. But, but listen, they didn't go out and start a riot. They didn't defund the police. <laughs> they, they didn't burn any buildings. They just said, we're willing. We're, hey, you know what? We're happy. Thank God that we have been counted worthy to suffer for his name. We, we're to submit even, even when we can't obey. We have a submissive attitude. Look at chapter, chapter 2, verse 18. I've got to go quick. Servants, be subject unto your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. A radical concept. We, we should be subject to those who are in authority over us. And he's using that word servants. And, and certainly it was, it's radical concept today. It was really radical when Peter wrote it. Because about half of, the, of Rome's population would have been considered the servant class. And they weren't all maybe slaves as we would, we would understand it and, and, and think of it. A lot of them were, were people who were in professional uh, positions and, and professions, and, and, but, but they were still subservient to another person. And, and without getting into all of, all of that, the simple principle here, the, the term servant here is broad and, and most relevant to us in America and our culture is in an employee-employer relationship. Uh, but the instruction is, I, I'm to submit to that authority. I'm to be a good employee. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I, I'm to do my job well. It, it ought to be that if you put Christian on your resume, that would make you the, the most preferred candidate. Because we know this person's going to come and, and, and they're, they're going to work as if they're working for Christ. And so it's, you know, in, in this scenario, it's, it's oftentimes that we obey, but don't submit. We ought, to, we ought to submit and obey, but, but it's oftentimes that we'll go into our employer and we'll do the job, but, but we don't do it with a submissive heart. And, and, and again, all of this relates to humility. When Paul's talking about relationships in Ephesians chapter 6, same, same context that Peter's dealing with this. It says, servants, be uh, obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as... The servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord, not to men. Verse 8 is key. Knowing that, whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord. It, it goes back to humility. I don't trust my boss. I'm not submissive to the government because I trust the government. I don't trust the government. I think they're whack. I don't, I, don't, I don't serve my boss. I don't submit to him because I trust him. I submit to the government. I submit to my boss because I trust God. I serve him. He, he's in control. 
And, and humility says, I'm dependent upon him. I'm trusting in him. I'm reliant upon him. And, and it's true in every scenario. We, we know, we know we can trust God. He's going to settle the scores. He can take, can he take care of me? Now, can he? <laughs> I'm wondering if we believe that. Now, he can take care of me. He can handle it. He can right the wrongs. Yeah, man, you don't know my boss. Don't have to. Maybe, or maybe I should say it this way. I do know your boss. He's good and gracious because he's God. Work for him. And let God handle that other guy. He's just a middleman. He's middle management. He can be done away with. <laughs> and my God can handle it. And, and so he, he's dealing with all these relationships. I, I, I told Pastor Grace this morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slide past the whole family relationship thing, right? Well, we all know about that. Wives be subject unto your husbands. And he goes on and talks about husbands and how they ought to relate to their wives. But, but again, all of that is true. A, a wife submits to her husband, not so much because she trusts her husband, but because she trusts God. And, and God can handle her husband. And if you're a husband, you ought, to, you ought to take note of that. God can handle you. You don't think so? Try him. In, the, in the, the, the passage where we've been looking at as a summary in chapter 5, he talks about the church and, and that, that, that we should be subject unto those who are elders, the leaders in the church. We should be submissive to them. We should follow their leadership. And, and all of this has to do with relationships. And you know what? In the 21st century, we are terrible at relationships. And we're terrible at relationships because we're not humble. Because we think we're all that. We think we're most important. We think i got to look out for number one, and I'm number one. And it destroys relationships, and it's, it's really rooted in pride. And so the Bible tells us over and over again that, uh, that pride goes before destruction, right? And, and, and certainly it is destroying relationships. So the, the, the thing that destroys our community, and man, are our communities being destroyed? They are. You know, it, country's in a mess. The things that destroy our churches, and churches by and large in this country are in a mess. The thing that destroys our families is pride. God's word is true. The thing that comes before destruction is pride, and, and we all struggle with it. So, so the thing that keeps citizens from reverencing the government is pride, and the thing that keeps rulers from serving the citizens is pride. The, the thing that, that keeps wives from submitting to their husbands is pride. And the thing that keeps husbands from sacrificing for their wives is pride. The thing that keeps our children from obeying us is pride. And the thing that keeps us from serving our children is pride. The thing that keeps workers from honoring their bosses is pride. And the thing that keeps bosses from rewarding their workers is pride. And the thing that keeps churches from obeying their pastors and, and pastors from serving their flocks is pride. Pride's a problem. And if pride's a problem, the prescription, the answer... It's humility. It's humility. It's humbling ourselves. And so he, he gives all of those specific instances. And then, and then he comes in verse number 8 of, of, of chapter 3, and, and he gives some general instructions. And we're just going to take the rest of our time and, and consider those general instructions. So if you look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, Peter says, finally, and so he's, he's dealt with some of these specific things, and now he says, finally, be you all of one mind, 
having compassion one to another. Love his brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. He gives these instructions of, of who we're to be. Dan said yesterday, it's not about what we do. It's about who we are. It's about the relationship that we have with God and who that makes us to be. It's not, it's not just do these things, it's be these things. And, and the only way to be these things is, is what Dan said. Have a meaningful relationship with God. That's who He is. And if I want to be who He is, then I've got to have a meaningful relationship with Him. And so we're, we're to be these things. And I, I just want to take a minute and, and consider those things that, that He says we're to be. They're, they're, they're adjectives, five adjectives. If you, if you looked at them in Greek, they're just one word for each one of these. And He says the that we're to be, we're to be of one mind. That's a powerful thing. Be of one mind. We're, we're to be like-minded. As believers in Jesus Christ, certainly within the context of a local New Testament church, you, you remember the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, the first letter that he wrote. Jacked up church, right? I, I, you know, when, I went, when I first, so I, I grew up in Decatur in, in the ministry, and uh, after 15 years there serving as a pastor of students, God called me to go to Georgia, and I served in a church in Georgia for about 15 years, and now I'm back in Decatur. But in that early days, I, when I went to Decatur, you know, I was, I was, I was stupid. I'm still stupid, but uh, I was stupider. Is that a word? Uh, and so, you know, you think, you know, I thought I knew something. I knew nothing. And, and I was talking about the church at Corinth and waxing eloquent about how Foolish anyone would be to ever call a church Corinth, you know? Why would you name a church Corinth? And, you know, again, if you've ever spoken in front of a group of people, you can tell when you said something stupid. Uh, and everybody knows, you know, you don't know how stupid you are, but they all know how stupid you are. And it turns out there's an elder gentleman in the church, a retired pastor who had started a church in the community, and guess, three guesses what the name was, and the first two don't count. Corinth Baptist Church. So I'm like, okay, yeah. yeah. Like Peter, you know, open mouth, insert foot. But the Corinth, Corinth, that was, church was messed up, right? I mean, you got incest going on. You, you got people in the church suing people, other believers. I, you know, they, they, don't, they don't understand spiritual gifts. They think it's all about them. They don't even really get the resurrection. Right? They're confused about the resurrection. But Paul doesn't deal with all of those things. From, it's not the first, he deals with them, but, but it's not the first thing he deals with. The first thing he deals with is, is the fact that they're, they're not unified. They're not of the same mind. And he starts with 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, Paul could have said, I mean, in chapter 4 he says, I'm your father. Right? You, you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. I'm your father. He could have, I mean, he had a powerful name. He could have said, I'm your father, and I'm telling you this is how it needs to work. I beseech you in the name of Paul. But he didn't do that. He said, I beseech you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. What he's saying is in, in humility, we come together, we lay aside our agendas, we lay aside our thinking, what we believe is right, and we submit ourselves, not to my mind or to your mind, but to the mind of Christ. 
Right? That's what, that's what Philippians chapter 2 tells us. If there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. And he comes down in verse 5 and says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And, and how does he describe that mind? How does he describe the mind of Christ in that context? He humbled himself. He came in the fashion of man. He became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Right? He laid aside. He laid aside his glory. And he, and he came in humility for us. And he died in our place. Who am I to somehow think Anybody ought to listen to me and what my thoughts are and my wisdom is. It's the mind of Christ. And so he's calling us to come together to lay aside our agendas, to lay aside our preferences, to lay aside what, what we think to, to have the mind of Christ. He, he says, be of one mind. Be compassionate. Be compassionate. Feel what others feel. Yeah. Paul said it like this in Romans chapter 12, Rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. There's, there's two sides of compassion, right? And, and those are the two sides. And, and I think sometimes we, we do better with the side of weeping. We can, we can hurt with someone that hurts maybe. I mean, but that's only in the power of Christ. That's why it's in Romans chapter 12. He, he starts that chapter by saying, we need to die to ourselves, be a living sacrifice, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. Now, the only way we're going to do that really is, because listen, in my nature, when you're suffering, my, my natural tendency is to be indifferent. My natural tendency is just to go, oh man, sure glad that's you. <laughs> glad you're going through that, not me. I know, you, I, I know you guys aren't that way, I'm telling you that's the way I am, right? I have a tendency to be indifferent. That's my natural response, but thank God I don't have to respond naturally. I've been made supernatural. Amen. And, and Christ in me, when I understand the concept of the body and we're one, and I know that when you're hurting, I'm hurting because we're a body. The other side sometimes I think is more difficult. He says rejoice with those that rejoice. Uh, my, my natural tendency is when I see something good come to your life is to be envious, covetous. I want, to, I want to be a professor like Dan, right? Right, right? That's, that's our natural tendency, is when I see somebody, something good happened in their life, oh, why them? What's up, God? Why not me? Why don't they win the lottery? Because they play. <laughs> that is not, that is not an endorsement. Playing the lottery. But if you play, and you should win, I'm here for you. You should do something. The devil's had that money long enough. You should do something good with it. We will accept your contribution. It's true, isn't it? Something good happens to a brother or sister. They get a raise. They get a new job. Somebody gifts them a new car. What's up with that? If I'm humble, 
What's up with that is praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I feel what you feel. I rejoice with you. That's, that's what humility is. That's how it plays out in our lives. It's, it's this reality that, that I understand the concept of the body and, and that we're in this together. So we're to, we're to be of one mind. We're to be compassionate. He, he says we're to, we're to love with, as brethren. We're, we're to have brotherly love. Uh, yeah, again, you know, it's a, it's a word that we, we've cheapened. Love. We, we use it for so many things that are insignificant. Uh, but, but Peter says we're to have brotherly love. We're to have a love that's, that's demonstrated, that's lived out, that's genuine, that's real. It's, it's where I want what's best for you, even if it's not what's best for me. Even, even if I'm going to lose in this situation, it's okay, because I know you're going to win, and I love you, and so let's go for it. I'll lay aside what's good for me. I'll lay aside my preferences. I'll lay aside what, what would work out best in my life, and, and I'm going to give to you. I'm going to, I'm going to turn that over to you because I want what's best for you. It's, it's, again, it's putting somebody else above myself. That's humility. That's how it plays out. I'm submitting myself. Again, Christ is the example, right? He laid aside his glory. He came in the fashion of a man. He humbled himself and was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. We are, we are by nature selfish. My flesh is selfish. I want what I want. But when I trusted Christ and God came to live within me, I now have a choice. I get to choose. I can either submit to my selfish flesh or I can humble myself and submit to the Holy Spirit of God. And, and, and that plays out in, in, in a myriad of different ways in our lives. Right? It's a... I'm going to hit these quick. It's, it's a willingness to sacrifice. He, 1 John 3.16 says, Christ laid down his life for us, and, and we should lay down our lives for the brethren. Pastor Mark, last night on the video, talked about it's, it's about time. It's not just that I'd take a bullet for you, but I'll lay down my life for you. I'll give up my time and my talent and my treasure for you. That's, that's, that's love, right? And, and it requires that, right? If we're going to minister, if we're going to serve, if we're going to meet people's needs, then we're going to have to be willing to do that. It's, it's compassion, like we talked about a moment ago. It's, it's, it's meeting people's needs. It's, it's, it's forgiveness. We're gonna, and that, that leads into the next point. It's still willing to, willingness to, to forgive people. And, and that's, I think that's what goes with being pitiful. I mean, and you, you read that one and you might say, pitiful? <laughs> I think we've got enough pitiful Christians. I don't know that we need any more. We use that word differently. It's, it means to be full of pity. When we think of someone and we say they're pitiful, we're, we're like, oh, they need pity. Uh, but the, the word as it's used here is, is to, it's to be full of pity for others. It's to show mercy, to, to be forgiving. And maybe this, is, maybe this is common understanding, but, but let me just say it. And if, it, if it's common, just forgive me. I think forgiveness is a lost art. 
I, so I call it an art. I, that's probably wrong. But. Forgiveness is a choice. No one can earn your forgiveness. It's always granted. It's never earned. And, and, and you know, forgiveness, and, and let me just make sure we understand this too. Forgiveness means some things. <laughs> it means something. It's not just like, okay, I forgive you. And you turn around and talk to somebody about this person and how awful they are, right? Forgiveness means I'm not going to talk about it anymore. Right? I'm not going to seek retribution. You owe me nothing. I have written it off. I'm pitiful. I'm merciful. I'm going to forgive you. That's, that's all part of humility. I'm, I'm letting this go. I'm not going to dwell on this any longer. I might think about it. The thought might come into my mind, but I'm going to bring that thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and I'm going to put it away. I'm going to be merciful. I'm going to be forgiving. That's what forgiveness means. Forgiveness means you don't owe me anything. I'm not going to talk about it to you or to anyone else, and I'm not even going to dwell on it. And when the thought comes to my mind, I'm going to, I'm going to rebuke the thought. I'm going to bring it into obedience to Christ, and I'm going to change what I'm thinking about. I'm going to renew my mind. Now, just real quickly, I think sometimes we, we struggle because trust is a very different thing. They are not the same. Trust is always earned. Never granted. And sometimes we get confused by that. Like, so someone will, will say, well, you haven't forgiven me because you don't trust me. No, I have forgiven you. I just don't trust you. And that's okay. Because trust must be earned. Right? So, so don't, don't get those confused. We're, but, 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 but don't go the other way either. I can't trust you, so I don't forgive you. I'm going to continue to run you down and destroy you and talk about you and think ill of you. Don't, don't do that either. Make sure you make the difference. The, the, make, understand the difference. Yeah, easy way to say it. I need to, I need to say things the easy way. Easy ways. I'm from Alabama. We play football. God's way of humbling us is he's sending people from Ohio to our church. I don't understand that. <laughs> Ohio State fans. It's, I don't know. Anyway. Everything comes down to college football in the South. Did you know that? It does. Where were we? Um, you know, I remember Pastor Mark uh, talking about the danger and, and failing to forgive. And the danger in failing to forgive is, is a root of bitterness. Hebrews talks about a root of bitterness that springs up. And there's, he, he talked about that sequence that, that, that's, that's set us apart by, by the word lest. Lest any man fail the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up uh, trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest any be a fornicator or profane person as Esau. I, I mean... <laughs> Man, talk about a slippery slope. That, that's more steep than the back of this auditorium, right? I mean, you're, you're going down quick. You, you fell the grace of God. Now you've got a root of bitterness, and now you're a, a, a fornicator and a profane person. You, you wonder why, why is our society so jacked up? Because we're not humble, we're full of pride, and we're not pitiful, and we won't forgive, and we've got bitterness going on. And, and listen, that's, in the church, that's not... We're, we're not immune to that. So we should be warned. 
Ephesians 4 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you and all malice. Be kind one to another. Tenderhearted, it's the same root word as, as pitiful. Forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. We justify our lack of forgiveness. And it's not justifiable. It's just pride. Humble yourself. He says, be courteous. The idea is, like you would say if you were coming into the, the auditorium, you open the door for someone, and, and what do you say? Oh, after me. Or after you. <laughs> after me. <laughs> you know, one of those. Freudian slip, right? You know? Oh. You just thought you were humble, buddy. Yeah. The right way to say it. After you. You go ahead. You go before me. That's what it means to be courteous. It goes back to where we started in Philippians chapter 2 with having one mind, having the mind of Christ. Isn't that what Christ said? Isn't that the way that he modeled for us? He says, Peter, or excuse me, Paul writing there says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look, not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. Let this mind be in you. Esteem others better than yourself. Put others ahead of yourself. That's what it means to be courteous. Being more concerned about God's work, God's glory, than I am about my work and my glory. Having a different definition of success. We have a tendency, even in the church, to measure success by worldly terms. We want to we we count nickels and noses, right? I, I, I'll promise you, with most pastors I meet within the first three minutes of the conversation, if, if I don't know them, they want to know how many, how many people come to your church. What does it matter? That, that's above my pay grade. 99.9% of the mail that comes into my office is, is pieces of mail to tell me how to grow the church. God never told me to grow the church. He said he'd grow the church. I just need to be obedient. I just need to be humble. We need to measure success differently. When Jesus showed up, it kind of destroyed the ministry of John the Baptist. Right? And I mean, they even came to John and said, John. <laughs> Things ain't looking good, buddy. Everybody's attending the new church in town. What did John say? He must increase. I must decrease. That's humility. What about me? Noah preached for 120 years. Eight people got on the boat. God was pleased with Noah. So maybe I should just figure out what God wants me to do and do it with all of my heart. And let that be measured as success. Real quickly, 
Verse 8 ends with a colon. So, so the sentence didn't end with be courteous. But, but notice, he, he, he talks about quality of life. He talks about lifestyle changes that will result if we apply these five things. And, and let me just hit them real quick. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrary wise blessing. Knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. He says, do these five things, and, and it'll change how you live. You, you are not going to render evil for evil. You're going to have a lifestyle that is free of vengeance. Again, when somebody does me wrong, my nature says, I'm going to get you back. I'll show you. You don't treat me like that. I'm going to get even with you. I'm, I'm not going to get even with you. I'm going to get ahead. I'll show you. You don't treat me like that. That's pride. And, and listen, I can appreciate we say, oh, no, no, you ought to, you ought to stand up for yourself. Really, I, I, would, I, would, I would really love for you to bring me a biblical passage that tells me you ought to stand up for yourself. Oh, well, Christ, remember when he went into the temple and he, he made that whip and he drove them out. Yeah, what, what was the reason for that? Oh, it was my father's house. It was an offense to the father. That was the issue. But when they took him to the cross, he went as a lamb. He, Dave, what? He, he, he muddled not a word. I think that was the way that song went this morning. He submitted. And he did that for you and I. He laid down his rights for us. If anybody deserved to walk away, if anybody deserved to call the legions of angels to, to set him, it was Christ. I sure don't deserve to be defended. We don't have to respond naturally. Uh, Romans chapter 12, Recompense to no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So here's the question. Here's the question. Who do you trust? You, you going to handle it? Or are you going to let God handle it? He said, I'll handle it. I'll repay. I'll deal with it. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him to drink. For in so doing, thou shalt keep heap coals of fire. There's, there's a ton of Ton that's to be said there. Trust the Lord. The, the, the second thing he says is a lifestyle free of bitterness. No, no railing for railing. No insults for insults. Man. Social media. It's hell on the internet. I, it's terrible. And, and all the back and forth, all the insults for insults, we shouldn't get caught up in that stuff. We shouldn't be out there in, in those fights, in those debates. When I was a kid, there was a saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but, but words can never hurt me. Never a greater lie propagated. I, I've broken some bones. James didn't get, didn't get over that one so much. You know, the doctor told me I was over 50 when I broke my leg skiing and 
asking the doctor about the prognosis, and he said, no, at your age. <laughs> I paid him for that. <laughs> he said, at your age, you don't usually get over it, but you'll get used to it. Thanks. What was I talking about? <laughs> Broken bones. I, I, I got over it. You know, there's words that people have said to me that still want to come up in my head, that still want to affect me. Your words are powerful. The things that you say are powerful. James talks about the power of the tongue, and, and he says it's a, it's, a, it's a world of iniquity. It's set on fire of hell. He says, who can tame it? We got, we got all kinds of wild beasts that have been tamed. You can go to the zoo and see a lion that's been tamed. You're never going to see a tongue in there. God said you can't tame the thing. God can, if we'll humble ourselves. He says, but contrary wise, blessing. Don't, don't live like that. Don't, right? not, not railing for railing, not seeking vengeance, but, but contrary wise, blessing. Again, that's a verb, knowing that ye are thereunto called that you should inherit a blessing. That's a noun. So, so, I, so knowing that, I've, I've been blessed. I'm blessed by God. My confidence is in Him. My trust is in Him. My dependence is upon Him. And, and because I know who I am in Christ, because I know that I'm blessed, I know that I'm accepted in the beloved, I know that, that I have this perfect relationship with Him. My dependence is upon Him. He is in control. He's sovereign over all things. I can trust him. I'm blessed. I'm blessed, and because I'm blessed, I can bless others. I can live a life giving blessing, not railing for railing and, and seeking vengeance. It, it changes how we live. Most of us know the story of uh, Charles Elliot, Elizabeth Elliot, more, more specifically. He's killed on a beachhead with the Anka Indians. She goes back. So these, these people killed her husband. <laughs> she takes her infant daughter and goes back there. And she goes back there to present the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what she said, and I'm done with this. I'm taking the Lord at his word. I'm trusting him to prove his word. It's kind of like putting all your eggs in one basket. But we've already put our trust in the Lord for salvation, so why not do it as far as our life is concerned? That's the confusing thing about us. We say we trust Him with our eternal destiny, but we won't trust Him for the rest of today. It's pride. And we need to humble ourselves. And if we'll humble ourselves... It'll radically transform our relationships. Father, we love you. We come today grateful for your word, grateful for your work in our life, grateful for your blessing. God, I pray that you'd help us to live as blessed people. Sharing that blessing, living out of that blessing, not, not seeking to defend ourselves, not seeking vengeance or railing for railing, but may we, may we be compassionate, may we be pitiful, may we be people who who show mercy and are forgiving. May we, may we have your mind. May you 
truly control not only our actions, but our thoughts. We pray in Christ's name.